Hello everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two 30-year-old men watch every episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology show for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and try to determine if it's still scary. Now, this is sort of a first for us, isn't it? Because we've never actually had a show where two 30-year-old men try to watch every episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's an astute observation, Eli. No, we we haven't. This is the mm. very first time. Have the, we've crossed this milestone. Yeah, I turned 30, everybody. Womp, womp. I'm not proud of it. You tried hard not to. I, I resisted it with all my might, but time crushed me beneath its heel. Yep, yep, and ground you into an old wrinkly paste. Yep, I'm, I'm already a husk of my former youthful self. I'll try to soldier on. Uh... My name is Eli Phillips, and with me for the first time is the oldest, dirtiest, David Dykus. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Dykus, uh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. As previously mentioned, I, I celebrated a big birthday this past week. I turned 30, uh, went out and celebrated with as many of my friends as I could find here in Nashville. Uh, had a great time, but I'm still kind of coming to terms with being a 30-something. It's weird. Yeah. Well, and and if you don't mind my saying, you've always been one to uh, give yourself over to an existential crisis whenever the opportunity arises. Oh, yes, and I, I certainly didn't pass this opportunity up. Yeah. Not to paint you in too dramatic of a light, but, but milestones, milestones really hit you. I mean, you did paint a picture of me once where I had my head in my hands in anguish. <laughs> and I think that's probably the most complete and accurate portrait of me that I've I've ever seen. I mean, I think it's also literally the only portrait of you. Beside the point. But yeah, I know the one you're talking about, Dykus in Contemplation of the Universe. Yep. Yeah. I also today shared a picture with you of you with your head in your hands in agony. Oh, that was that was different. That was when I was being mounted. <laughs> I had reason to be, I had good reason to be ashamed in that picture. Uh, maybe I'll put that picture on the face, on the Facebook group so everyone can see you. Both because a man was writing on my back. <laughs> <laughs> and because my hair was entirely too long back then. It's true. Both of those Good things. reason to be ashamed. Uh, yeah, so so your 30th birthday went well. Sorry I had to miss that. On to new uh, Let's Let's speak no more of it. Yeah. I've I've already said too much. Let's let's only move on to fresh and youth, youthful news. Yes, let's talk about what the, the folks here came to see. This week we're talking about the tale of the water demons. Uh, yeah, we are watching The Tale of the Water Demons. It is the 44th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It is the 5th episode of Season 4, and good God almighty, we've got ourselves a Ron Oliver joint. Now, his name is listed as the director. I feel like maybe this is not his strong... Well, we'll get to that in, in the review portion of the show. Before we get to the the official review, the rundown, the synopsis, we have to talk about nude business. Because thank Jesus, we have some nude business this week. Finally something to talk about. Uh, what was the name of the thing that I, I just said? Uh, the up, the annual upfront presentation? Nickelodeon's annual full frontal. Yes, Nickelodeon had their annual upfront presentation. What's the opposite of the upfront presentation? Uh, the anal presentation. <laughs> the backdoor presentation? The backdoor presentation. It's a backdoor presentation. Uh, if you're no, ever so, invited to a backdoor presentation, just don't let me stop you, but I wouldn't encourage it. 
Yeah, don't let us yuck your yum. So apparently every year Nickelodeon has an annual upfront presentation where they talk about all the shit that they've got planned. And uh, they got a lot of shit planned for Got a lot of shit planned. We don't have to go over all of it, but they talk about all of the content that they have coming up for the next year plus, including new series, new events, um, all of their new parks and attractions, everything that they're officially announcing for the first time that is upcoming. Did they talk about the underwater park? I didn't even see. Or any of their other like insane international parks that, that we've mentioned in the past. Um, let me see. Do you know what? I don't think so. Maybe they had to put that one on the back burner. Yeah, reasonably. But in terms of TV content, they announced that they would have 700 hours thereabout of new programming. They announced a new Ninja Turtles series. They commented on the upcoming Rocco's Modern Life and Hey Arnold movies that are due out this year. Did, Did you he... realize that Nickelodeon is having three different award shows this year? You you briefly mentioned that, and you know we've talked a lot about the Kids' Choice Awards, but in my mind, that's the only award show that happens, right? No, no, Grandpa. Get with the times. They have no fewer than three award shows. The regular Kids' Choice Awards, the Kids' Choice Sports Awards, and something called the Halo Awards, which I know nothing about. Did they used to do sports in the regular Kids' Choice Awards? Yes. I distinctly remember uh, them having... I mean, it was... They only had, like, two categories, like, favorite team and favorite athlete. And they may have had, like, favorite male and favorite female athletes. Yeah. But certainly not enough to spin off into its own award show. Yeah, actually, the 2016 Kids' Choice Sports Awards was the third. So this year we're coming up on the fourth Kids' Choice Sports Awards ever. Nickelodeon must have just, like, massively overproduced those little ceramic blimps one year, and now they've got to get rid of them. I mean, when we talked about how many awards they were giving out at the Kids' Choice Awards and how bloated it had become, it makes sense for them to spin off sports, especially since the very next week, I think, we talked about how Nickelodeon is trying to expand their relationship with the NFL and with ESPN. So to have the Kids' Choice Awards separate from the Kids' Choice Sports Awards, it makes perfect sense for them. Very true. It will be interesting if they eventually do this with everything, where they have the Kids' Choice Music Awards and the Kids' Choice Sports Awards and the Kids' Choice Movie Awards and the Kids' Choice... You know, it's really interesting that those are the only award shows we have are, like, music, TV, movies, and sports. What are you hoping for? Like, the Kids' Nobel Prize? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Kids' Choice Award for Mathematics. Why doesn't Nickelodeon just have a fucking science fair? You heard them in, Nickelodeon. Get on it. Tweet at me. We'll include a link to this article listing all of the different programs they've announced uh, in the description for this episode. Uh, Plenty of nude business to chew on in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of things to look at. I'm very, very interested in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, because the previous new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot just wasn't new enough. I suppose this is going to be a prequel. Um, I, I enjoyed... What I saw of the most recent Ninja Turtles series, the Ninja Turtles have had ups and downs over their, what, 25, 30-year career now? 30 Uh, years, yeah. Yeah, they've had some ups and downs, and I feel like the last series was really great. I enjoyed every piece of it that I saw. It's obviously very popular. You see it everywhere. So uh, hopefully, hopefully Nickelodeon can continue that trend. Hopefully so. God knows we already have enough bad Ninja Turtles series out there. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Nude business out of the way. 
Let's continue the odd nautical theme of season four and talk about the tale of the water demons. I don't know three episodes a theme make. <laughs> three of the last six. I don't even know if I would call the first two nautically themed. They're about pirates. On land. You see water. Uh, oh, you see, you see water? That's, that's There's a ghost on a boat. <laughs> there are two there is, ghosts on a boat. I guess there are two. Why isn't that the name of, a, of an episode? If Dr. <laughs> Seuss wrote, <laughs> wrote Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of Two Ghosts in a Boat. You must not ghost on boat. Wait, is Dr. Seuss using ghost as a verb? <laughs> that sounds more <laughs> like a mistranslated Japanese sign. <laughs> Harry Potter and the ghost up to boat. <laughs> Harry Potter and leopard walk up to ghost on boat. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, we're we're continuing our air quotes nautical theme for season four with the tale of the water demons, directed by Ron Oliver, written by Scott Peters. Scott Peters, who's written previous episodes for the show. Yep, two old hands. Scott Peters wrote Old Man Corcoran, he wrote Apartment 214, and I feel like this is right in line with those. Yeah. So let's uh, let's just dive into it. Let's dive in. This episode begins with Frank wandering up to the campfire all alone. He discovers it abandoned. He's there all by himself, and of course we know that Frank is, is afraid of the dark and is a nervous type, so you would think he would not be happy about this, but he kind of changes his tune pretty quickly, doesn't he? He does. He finds something that piques his interest on the stone throne. It is Samantha's bag containing her diary. Yeah, and we know it's Samantha's diary because it says on it in big letters, Samantha's diary. And he holds it up right in front of the camera for all of us to see. He whips open the diary and reads aloud a passage where she seems to proclaim her love for Frank. I don't know how to tell him how special he is to me. I only give him a hard time because... I don't want anyone to suspect my true feelings for Frank. This is another one of those situations where someone on this show opens a book to the exact right passage. Yeah, he just happened, I mean, maybe it was marked with a bookmark or something, but no sooner has he read this passage aloud than Samantha shows up with Gary, and they're all soon followed by the other members of the Midnight Society. Yeah. Um, now, now Eli. Dicus. Let's do a little bit of role-playing here. Okay. Let's pretend you're Frank. You've wandered up to the stone throne, and you found yep. this diary, mm -hmm. and you've been discovered by your fellow Midnight Society members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you, A, quickly return the diary uh, to the bag in which you found it and try to make it look like an accident? Do you, B, apologize to Samantha for obviously snooping through her stuff mm. or C do you take this opportunity to lay down the Mac okay okay so uh, hide it apologize or lay down the Mac uh, follow up question am I I am Frank right yes you're Frank you're in a tricky situation as Frank I don't have the ability to turn off my Frankish charms so I think what I would do in this moment, obviously, is look Sam directly in the eyes, hold up the diary, and say, Let me be frank. 
damn you. <laughs> when we have our first t-shirt, it's just going to say, let me be frank. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sorry I even introduced this exercise. <laughs> frank does what we all know Frank to do, which is be a horrible creep. He takes the creepiest option he can and runs with it as far down the field as they will let him go. He does that thing that he does where he gets a bit of a grin on his face, where he's overconfident, and he sort of like swaggers up to Samantha, which is annoying because she's already like a foot away from him. Still holding the diary. Goes yeah, up he... to Samantha and tells her, listen, baby, you don't have to hide your true feelings for me anymore. I know you give me a hard time. You don't have to pretend anymore. Uh, what are you talking about? I, um, I snuck a peek at your diary. While he's saying all of this, Tucker has, like, appeared in the background behind Frank, and he has the biggest shit-eating grin on his face. Yeah, like the mischief-causing imp that he is. He's just wandered out of the darkness and is snickering to himself. Samantha looks at the, uh, the passage in the journal, realizes that it's not even her handwriting, and the horrible truth is revealed that Tucker forged this entire entry. This is such a weird thing that tucker has done it's a weird prank to pull yeah and it's made even weirder by what follows tucker says this gave me an idea for a story about how you shouldn't mess with other people's stuff but like how much did these he two just things messed really with have in stuff. common <laughs> yeah well and the point he's making is that frank shouldn't have got into sam's bag and that it was inappropriate for him to do that and he you know, has to learn his lesson by getting called out for reading the diary. But, like... Look at the pot calling the fucking kettle black here. Yeah. And even if there was some weird justification for it, it doesn't actually play into his story, really. They are so loosely and tangentially related. What happened here is Tucker wanted to play a prank, saw the opportunity, and then said, how am I going to justify this so I don't get the shit kicked out of me? And he said, oh, so it's a part of my story. Gary amusingly uh, re- rebuffs Tucker on this and says, you mess with my stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of did like how everyone immediately came to Sam's rescue on this. Like, I liked Betty Ann saying, why would you do that? Why would you read her diary? Yeah, everyone else in the Midnight Society realizes this was a terrible thing to do. For Frank to They're do. Like, Not, they, they kind of blow off what Tucker did. No, Yeah, what Frank did, reading the diary. They're like, what the fuck, Frank? Come on. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed all of them coming together that way. Kiki holds Frank back when he attempts to beat the shit out of Tucker. Which, of course, he tries to beat the shit out of Tucker. Yeah. Uh, so he Frank calms down. Tucker introduces his story, throws the coffee creamer on the fire, and we begin the tale of the water deep. And we waste no time in meeting this week's two young protagonists. We meet Sean and Dean. Sean is a bad boy. Yeah, he's been sent to stay with his uncle and his cousin for the summer in hopes that that will mellow him out a little bit. Yeah, he is not above petty theft and bullying. And yeah. Dean is sort of a nebbish, nerdy type. This is one of those episodes that we haven't had in a long while, really, where you have two relatives, this time not siblings, but cousins, and one of them is just sort of like nerdy and a pushover, and the other one is a butthead. And the nerdy one has to suffer the butthead as they sort of grow and learn through some sort of paranormal experience. Yes, uh, before that paranormal experience can begin, the two of them are working at 
Dean's father's convenience store, which seems to be some sort of old-timey mom-and-pop operation. Yeah, it's very much like uh, something you'd find in a little vacation town. And I guess it's okay that this 11-year-old child is working seemingly full-time at this store. He's like 14. No way. He's 13 or 14. Okay, maybe 13. He's 13. Okay, he's 13. I mean, that's still too young. I mean, child labor laws still apply to (laughs) 13-year-olds. Only if he's being paid, which he's not. This is all under-the-table work. So Dean is working at the store. Sean is supposed to be working at the store, but is instead just stealing gum and candy from behind the counter. And money. And money! Yeah, he just takes money from the uh, the cash register. Like, what a... He's a butthead. Your typical are-you-afraid-of-the-dark butthead. Uh, the two of them get a message that they have to make a delivery, though, out to the old creepy house on the water, which is said to be inhabited by a mysterious sea captain. Sean is kind of excited about this. He says, oh, cool, maybe we'll get a tip because we're having to deliver to a rich guy. He's obsessed yep. about this tip. Yeah, he's he's obsessed with it, which makes me wonder, like, is is he not getting paid? Is that why he's not working? Is because he's not getting paid? The pay situation here is never addressed. Either way, both of the kids make their way down to the old cabin on the water, which is apparently just downwind from the dry ice factory because it's just covered in yeah. wave after wave of rolling fog. That's exactly what I was going to say, is this giant mansion, it looks like the friggin' clock tower from Back to the Future. Like, it looks like some town's capital building. And then once they get close enough that they're at the door, you never, like, you never see it that far back again. So we're dealing with multiple sets here. Um, they get up to this door, and there's a note hanging on it. And it says, take the groceries into the kitchen, money, take the the money out of my account or whatever so someone living in this house wants to have their groceries delivered and they cannot be bothered to deal with weird kids delivering their shit the kids go inside they see that the house is full of of strange treasures what you call them knickknacks yeah all sorts of like antiques there are yes statues of ships there are candelabra and lanterns there's antique silverware i mean this basically looks like the inside of a very very fancy like red lobster just yeah. nautical stuff all over the place. Imagine you decorated your entire home with the things that you stole from Ariel's Grotto in The Little Mermaid. And of course, Sean thinks to himself, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? And we see Sean lusting after some of the antiques beneath a glass case. Yeah, which is kind of unusual, but uh, maybe he's thinking he can pawn them for a tip. The kids make their way through the house. They eventually make their way to the room of the eccentric captain, Captain Westchester. Yeah, they bump into this bearded, salty old man, and he is just terrified of everything. Please, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I ever disturbed you. Uh, I have a delivery? He is a shell of a man. He looks like he hasn't slept in years, and that's because he hasn't slept in years. You know what else he looks like? Who? He looks like he was a young man at one point who stole the youth of other people to keep himself that way and buried a dog in a graveyard. No. Yep. No yeah. way. The old man that we see in the tale of what the captured souls. Yes. This is him. Peter? Goodbye, Danny. I'm going out back now to join my family. It's been far too long. Wow, didn't even realize I hadn't checked the Campfire Companion before I watched it. 
Yeah, Griffith Brewer is the actor's name. And he's in a couple of episodes, aside from Captured Souls. He's in this one, and I think one or two others. Well, his soul-capturing powers have failed him, because in this episode, he looks old and sick. Yeah, maybe this is a continuation. (laughs) Maybe. That'd be interesting. But Captain Westchester explains the boys that he hasn't slept more... He hasn't gotten more than a catnap in years. Oh, shit. Do you know what the other episode is? I looked it up. What? What what is it? (laughs) He's he's in the phone police. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. He's the he's the phone clerk in the phone police. You're a real smart kid. You got here quicker than anyone ever has. <laughs> so anyway, uh, old man hasn't slept in forever. He's a little bit loony, and he explains to the boys that he acquired all of this stuff from basically grave robbing sunken ships. Yeah, he's a professional plunderer, which is pretty pretty rad. Yeah, that is an objectively rad job. We should point out, like, when he tells the boys this, and he tells them, you know, I stole shit from the bottom of the ocean, they think it's cool until, just like we do, until he says, no it ain't, I am tortured by water demons. I I loved the exchange here, where he tells this horrifying story of, like, I used to pull the rings off of a dead, shriveled finger. And Sean says, cool. With all yeah, he, the passion of Beavis and or Butthead. He just says, cool. Rats. <laughs> but yeah, the captain tells them, no, it's not cool. I am visited by water demons every time I try to sleep. I didn't give them rest, so they don't give me any rest. And It's a really exposition-heavy moment. It is, but he delivers it with such, like, melodrama. It's such an over-the-top performance. This is the most Ron Oliver scene in the entire episode because we get dramatic close-ups on the guy and we get him from these different angles. He's like standing up, staring off into the distance, and then he's laying back on his couch, staring at the ceiling. And all the while, we're getting different types of close-ups on him. This is maybe the least Ron Oliver, Ron Oliver episode we've gotten in a while. Yeah. Like the scene we're describing is really one of the only ones where his, his distinctive flourishes come through. Yeah, there are a couple of moments, but this is this is really it, is this opportunity for over-the-top melodrama from this sea captain, which he delivers, and the boys are appropriately put off by it. Uh, Sean is like, we should get out of here and leave this crazy old man be. And they do, and they exit by way of a hidden passageway through a bookshelf? Yeah, the way they found this room was one of them accidentally shoved the other into a bookshelf that rotated, you know, the classic secret passage. Yeah. Solidifying how rad this guy's house is. Exactly. So the kids leave, we get a sequence where the captain drifts off to sleep, and as he sleeps, we cut to the water outside, which starts churning and bubbling, as if Godzilla is about to emerge from it and go on a rampage. <laughs> Sadly, that, that is be... not what happens. Wouldn't that be a twist? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if I saw this as a kid, that's what I desperately wished would happen. Uh, but no, instead we Godzilla see some the water sh- demon. Instead we see some shadowy figures emerge out of the water and start wandering to his house like zombies. And then when he wakes up, they vanish. Yeah. Yeah, he goes to sleep, creepy shit starts to happen. He wakes up, creepy shit goes away. And we cut to uh you know, there's like it, this is a pretty good transition. It's like the the bubbling waters outside his house, transition to Dean looking at the fish in his aquarium. I bet Ron Oliver felt real clever when he directed that. 
It's a good scene. It's fine. It, it's fine. The kids are back at Dean's house. Sean and his uncle, Dean's dad, get into a dispute where Sean's de- Sean decides he's going to sleep outside. Lights out, guys. Forget it. It's still early. When you sleep under my roof, you sleep under my rules. And maybe I won't sleep under your roof. Don't pull that on me, Sean. Your mother might put up with it, but I won't. No problem. I'll leave. I really enjoyed this scene. It's one of the better moments of character development in the episode. When Sean is sent to stay with his uncle and cousin because Sean's a dickhead, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, what good is sending him to stay with them going to do? You know, how is that going to solve him being a dickhead? But when we see his interaction with his uncle, it makes all of that clear. The uncle comes in. He says, time to go to bed, boys. And Sean's like, fuck that. And his uncle says, sorry, Sean. My house, my rules. Maybe you can talk to your mom that way, but you're not going to talk to me that way under my own roof. At which point, Sean says, maybe I won't sleep under your roof. And he goes outside. He just, like, storms out of the house. And when Dean says, uh, dad, what the fuck? His dad says, he'll come back in when he gets cold. So suddenly it makes sense that he was sent to stay with them because Dean's dad doesn't put up with any shit. Yeah, he's a, he's a harsh taskmaster. And he's like he's not unreasonable. I really really enjoyed the scene because of like he's firm, but he's not an asshole at all. Like not in a single moment. This is the most believable parental motivation we've had in an episode of the show. And this is one of this is one of two scenes with this dad. He barely factors into the episode, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed his performance. I, he had the most believable character in the entire episode, and, and I wanted to, you know, acknowledge that. Very true. But Sean goes outside. He takes a nap in a random hammock that he just kind of finds in somebody's backyard. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was the old man's hammock, and he was, like, very consciously going to it. Well, maybe it was. I think it's the old man's, because I think that's... When, when they go around back at the old man's house... You see a hammock in the backyard, and this is, I'm 90% sure this is the back of his house. We cut to the old man, the sea captain, and he's keeping himself awake. He's sipping a tiny cup of coffee and reading a book and trying to stay awake, because whenever he falls asleep, the goddamn monsters come for him. What happens? Uh Uh-oh, he falls asleep, drops his tea, the water demons come back, oh no, and they start coming for the house. And they also start approaching Sean, asleep in his hammock. Yeah, Sean, the hammock is in between the water's edge and the house, which means these monsters that are pursuing the captain, they're going to have to go through Sean to get there. They approach Sean, Sean wakes up, and sees the water demons. This is our first really good look at them. They're basically just zombies covered in gack. They're pretty scary looking. Did you think so? I mean, like, if you're a kid, I, I mean, as an adult... As a, a, a real-life adult now that you're 30, zombies. Probably one of the actual scariest monsters in horror, right? Like, just a fucking dead person who's not dead, and they eat you. They fucking eat you. That's scary, right? Zombies have never really done it for me, but I think there is something to what you said about it must be scary to a kid. Like, if I were a kid and I just saw these, like, pale, slimy, gross-looking monster men rise out of the water, I, and we'll get to this when we ask the... the question at the end but yeah they're kind of scary yeah they're bloated drowned corpses that have come to life and are going to get you uh the reason that sean wakes up is because 
Dean worried about him. Dean didn't want him to be sleeping out in the cold in a hammock, and so he came to find him. And amazingly, of all of the directions he could have gone in the middle of the night, he also went back to the old man's house, found Sean, and woke him up right as the monsters were about to fucking eat him. And we get a huge scream take. As Sean wakes up and discovers these bloated corpses looming down at him. Yeah, they kind of grab him and he gets gack all over him. Yeah, he gets two enormous handprints on his on his shirt. And I think that's when we get our first commercial break. Exciting at 12 o'clock. Cool. Honey nut Cheerios. And nobody beats the feed to the taste of nuts and honey. Oh, right here. So we come back from commercial, Sean wakes up and sees he's surrounded by water demons. Oh no! And he makes a run for it, and he's running and running. Fortunately, these demons are not that fast. Yeah, they're zombies. He uh, he hides in, like, the shed at the old man's place, and he grabs an air horn. When the demons burst through the floor and try to get him, he tries to ward them off with an air horn, which is fucking stupid. He's just blasting an air horn at them for no reason. He just watched the kids in the last episode beat the uh, librarian lady with the noise box. That's gotta be what it was. He's doing this, and Dean runs in. They're both freaking the fuck out. These zombie monsters, these water demons are trying to get him. And he starts blaring this air horn for no reason at all. But conveniently, that is exactly what it takes to wake the old man up inside of his house. He hears the air horn outside, he wakes up, and the demons disappear. I mean, they literally evaporate. They dematerialize. The kids return to the mansion. They talk to the old sea captain. He looks at the slime on Sean's shirt and says, Oh, the mark of the water demon. <laughs> Which, like, I love that their their mark is just, like, their handprints. Yeah, two big handprints placed randomly across someone's torso. The mark of the water demon. They go back into the house, and the old captain gives his story. He says they used to plunder treasures from sunken ships. And it was after he plundered a treasure right in his backyard, in the big body of water adjacent to his house, that he was visited by the water demons. And he tried to appease them by throwing all of his plunder back into the sea. But they just kept coming. The kids realize, you know, they ask him, like, oh, why did you get all this plunder? And he said, oh, I'm a collector. I would sell it or I would trade it. And so finally Dean, the brainy one, says, well, wait a second. Did you sell some of the plunder? And the guy's like, yeah, I just said that. And he said, but you also said you returned all of it to the sea. So, like, here's the conflict. The old man's like, oh, shit, well, yeah, I returned all of it to the sea that I had. I didn't return the stuff to the sea that I sold. And the kid's like, well, then you didn't really return all of it. And so they have to figure out what the solution to that is. And the kid just says, well, wait a second. If you traded their stuff then you should return the things you traded because that is of equal value. Which is kind of bullshit, right? Yeah. Like, if you, if you stole my stuff from me, Dykus, and then you sold it, the value that you assigned to it is necessarily not equal to the value I would assign to it, right? Yeah, if I like stole it, your money and I went out and I bought myself, I don't know, you know, an exotic pet. I bought myself, like, a pet alligator with your money. I couldn't then turn around and say, sorry, Eli, I can't repay the $400. Take this pet alligator of equal value. Yeah. 
Because maybe it's not of equal value to me, which is why I did not spend that money on an alligator. Although, like, really, I would be pretty, I'd be pretty psyched about that. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, that would. You know who that would be best for? Fucking you! You stole my money. You bought an alligator. You gave it to me. You know I'm still gonna let you play with that alligator whenever you want. <laughs> it's the perfect crime. But anyway, <laughs> the kid, the kids, and the captain deduce that they have to throw all of the equal or lesser value shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His extensive collection of nautical bullshit. <laughs> and so yeah, they, they go. Got... They go out to the dinghy. They they go back to the the shed, which I guess is like what do you call a shed that's on water, like a, a shed that's on a dock. Uh, a dock. Yeah, I don't know. They go out to his dock and they're loading up a dinghy with all of these old paintings and all of these old cigar boxes and all of these old like oars. And you said this wasn't a very Ron Oliver episode, but the moment here, I think, is one of the most Ron Oliver moments. As they're loading everything up, Sean accidentally conks the old man over the back of the head with an oar, and the old man gasps loudly, his eyes bulge out, and then he just passes out and falls over onto a pile of ropes. Hey, maybe you should take this in case... Captain! And... The shot of him being knocked unconscious, I thought, was very Ron Oliver. Okay, maybe that was kind of Ron Oliver. This is, like, the most convenient, like, mousetrap of a situation, where he spins around holding an oar, it knocks the old man unconscious, and when he goes to throw the oar down, it knocks Dean's glasses off into the water. Like, this one act conveniently constructs everything that has to happen moving forward. Yeah, Sean has single-handedly fucked up this entire operation, so he has to go out alone on the dinghy to dump all of this treasure into the sea. Yeah, had it not been for him doing that, the old man would have gone out there by himself and dumped the stuff, and the kids would have been safe on the dock. But now he has to go out there alone, because of course he's the one who has to learn an important lesson. And Sean is still Uh, scared shitless, it's important to note, still scared out of his wits. By his run-in with the water demons. He heads out to a buoy out in the middle of the water. Um, That was the spot where the buoy apparently floats above the the sunken ship. So he goes and he throws all of the stuff back into the water while Dean stays behind with the captain to make sure that the captain doesn't fall asleep. He says, if the captain falls asleep, the water demons will come back. I actually thought in this moment he was going to say, if the captain falls asleep, he'll probably die of a... Or he'll probably get, like, a fucking concussion. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely not supposed to go to sleep after you get a concussion. He will die. Yeah, but they're not worried about that. They're worried about the water demons coming back. Unfortunately, old man passes right out. He drifts in and out of consciousness. I mean, at this point, it's also, I guess, worth noting that he's really tired. Yeah, and he's, like, really 90. (laughs) Yeah, Sean hastily throws all of the treasure overboard, and like an idiot, picks up the last piece of treasure and says... Here it is, the last piece of treasure. I'm throwing it in now. Yeah. <laughs> but just before he can finish his work, wouldn't you know it, the old captain falls asleep and the water demons burst forth from the water and try to take Sean down with them. In what was probably the scariest, the closest thing to a scary scene this episode actually had. This was like the scene in Titanic where Rose is on the, uh, she's on that board or whatever. And all of the people are trying to get on it. Only all of those people are fucking 
terrifying ghost monsters. I thought you like, would say this is like that scene if Jack had been like a water demon. <laughs> Imagine Jack was a water demon. No, like that's a sc- to me that is the scariest moment of that movie is when they are in the freezing cold water and people are trying to use them to buoy themselves up, like to to get out of the water. Like that's fucking terrifying to me. All these people just grabbing you and pulling you underwater. That scares the shit out of me. And so he's in a boat. And that's happening to him, but it's not just people doing it; it's goddamn ghosts. It is. I mean, again, it's it's kind of eerie. You get a lot of close-ups on the ghost and Dutch angles and stuff as they're grabbing him, they're covered in slime. They're saying, "Come to the water. You're a grave robber." He throws a piece of treasure in, which he claims was the last piece of treasure, and they all sink down to the bottom. And he laughs maniacally. He, he laughs thinks like Montana this is Max. fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's bizarre uh he laughs and laughs and laughs and then he rows the boat back into the dock and when he gets back there he and and dean are like high-fiving and congratulating each other over a job well done when all the fucking sudden the water demons pop out and they take dean they grab him and they pull him underwater and Sean uh, freaks the fuck out. He's like, why would you do this? Leave him alone. He didn't do anything. And he reaches into his pocket and it's revealed that he himself stole a piece of the old captain's treasure while they were in the house. Yep. He decided that he wasn't going to return all of it, despite knowing that that doesn't work. Uh, he kept like a giant. It looks like a coin from Super Mario <laughs> in his pocket. It does, right? That's exactly. It's like a big round coin with a little rectangular divot in it. Yeah, some kind of big gold circular object, and he yeah. throws it in the water, and immediately, <laughs> Dean he's thrown out of the water like like Flipper jumping up out of the water. Yeah, like fucking like he's just Willy. launched. Yeah, <laughs> so he's launched back onto the dock. Sean catches him. The old man wakes up. Uh, everyone is happy to be alive. And then Sean says, hey, look, they gave your glasses back. And the glasses are sitting on a barrel. And the story concludes with both kids working at the uncle's general store. It is implied that Sean paid them back for all of the candy and gum that he had stolen. And I guess he learned his lesson after all. The end. Yeah. Yeah, uh, everyone congratulates Tucker on a good story. And then Frank has the gall to say, this still doesn't mean you're off the hook for that diary prank. It's like, Frank, you were the asshole here. Yeah, like, where does Frank get off judging anyone in this situation? Everyone kind of, like, rolls their eyes and says, Ah, oh, come on, Frank. And Gary says, Yeah, he messes with my stuff all the time. So he got you. So what? And they all walk off. Uh, everyone everyone walks off. Tucker kind of runs off to get away from Frank, and everyone is following after them laughing, except Gary and Kiki. They realize that Tucker has left his bag behind, and Gary's like, oh, Tucker ran off and left his bag, and he opens it up, and he goes, wait a second, this is my stuff, and he pulls out the glasses from the tail of the super specs, and he's like, these are mine, and this is mine, and he pulls out a magic book, like a book of magic tricks, and he's like, this is all my stuff, and he's pulling all of his stuff out of Tucker's bag, and Kiki reaches in, and she pulls out a note, and she says, there's a note here, dear Gary, Sorry I borrowed all your things. Sorry I didn't ask first. I promise I'm going to return them. But what are you doing going through my bag? Didn't you learn anything from my story? And Kiki looks at at Gary like, oh, he got you. And Gary like shakes his fist to the heavens and like curses God for giving him Tucker (laughs) as a brother. And 
<laughs> and that's when we get the rockin' awesome theme song. Rockin' awesome theme song. And that's the tale of the Wander Demons. Eli, you know what? I'm gonna switch things up. I'm just gonna ask the question right here off the bat. You scared of this? Uh, I think you know I am. I'm gonna give this a marginal yes as well. This is yet another episode where I think I have to stipulate this is this would be scary if you were a kid watching it. Yeah, yeah. That being said, I think this may have been the most generic episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark I've ever seen. It's pretty by the books as far as the characters. Like, the monsters are pretty nondescript. The boys and their problems are pretty nondescript. The solution is pretty nondescript. Like... Oh, we stole some stuff from some zombies, and now they are pissed at us. Let's give it back to them. Now they aren't pissed at us anymore. Hey, for some reason, that caused me to learn a lesson not to be a dickhead. It's a pretty paint-by-numbers script. Yeah, I mean, it hits a lot of the same... The beats that you described, stuff that we've seen in previous episodes. You know, your two young protagonists, one learns a lesson, there's some supernatural stuff. Like, it's not a bad episode, there's nothing really remarkable about it either. Like, I've watched this episode twice, and I just feel nothing. It's not a unique plot, and it's not unique characters. You know, in Tale of the Dark Music, we had the most bizarre villain. And in Tale of the Midnight Madness, we had Dr. Vink, and we had an interesting setting, and we had a possible romance, and we had a bizarre monster. Like, the episodes that stick with you have these really unique things. And even though the, the water demons are kind of scary, like the idea of being assaulted by drowned zombies is scary, and being out on a boat at night by yourself is scary, like, there's just nothing particularly unique about these things. No. None of them are, none of them really stand out. Even the old sea captain, who could be, you know, a potentially interesting character, he doesn't do a lot in this episode. He get, He delivers his monologues wonderfully. But they're basically exposition, and he doesn't have a lot of character outside of just, like, I have a problem, please help me solve it. And the fact that it's the same actor from two previous episodes. (laughs) Yeah, they really are recycling. The biggest letdown for me about this episode is Ron Oliver's direction. Like you said, there's not really anything remarkable in this episode to set it apart from others. And usually you can count on Ron for at least one or two moments in an episode, at least a couple that go over the top. You know, we talked in the episode about the renegade virus about, you know, all of his his directorial flourishes. He had the big lock on the the bike rack. He had the extreme close-ups that were like looking down people's throats. Like that had a lot of character to it. This episode is delivered it's directed in a much more straightforward way. There's not a lot yeah, of room this, for silliness or playfulness. This is the most toned down Ron Oliver episode. And I think you're right with both of those words. It's not silly and it's not playful. And that's the thing that makes a Ron episode the most fun. Exactly. This episode, it's directed competently. And I should point out that the acting is, I thought, I thought the acting was really good across the board. I thought both of the kids did a really good job. And uh, what's his name who plays the sea captain uh, did a fantastic job. Griffith Brewer. Yeah, he did He did great. And again, the uncle. There are only four characters in this, uh, not, not counting the water demons. And all four actors did a great job. But yeah, it's just sort of a nondescript episode. I would sort of lump this in the same category as like Tale of the Twisted Claw, maybe. Or yeah. 
you know, even I know that you will disagree with this, but even Tale of the Phone Police, just an episode that like doesn't have a whole lot of memorable moments to it. Yeah, I know I defended Phone Police in season three, but you're right. It's it's that kind of episode. It's not bad. I don't want I don't want people to get the wrong impression that I hated this episode or anything. But yeah, it's just kind of there. It's it's fine. Yeah, which is, you know, not a bad thing. We've talked before about the highs and lows of this show, and it's nice to have an episode that's that's not, you know, not a low. I Actually, I would say that this is probably slightly above, but almost on the same level as The Quiet Librarian, as far as just, like, middle-of-the-road episodes. I think I like this one more than Quiet Librarian by a little bit. That's fair. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Scared of it with a with an asterisk beside it, and uh, hopeful for next week's episode. Eli, what is next week's episode? Glad you asked. Next week's episode is The Tale of the Long Ago Locket, which I know what you're thinking. That sounds exactly like a title you would give to The Tale of Locker 22 if you were going to rename it. And, uh, well, it sounds kind of (laughs) similar. This is going to be uh, directed by David Winning. It's going to be a Sam episode. We're getting a new writer on this one, Gerald Wexler, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I can't say that I'm too hopeful about this episode because Wikipedia lists the antagonist as, quote, the British. Wait a minute. <laughs> yep, so all of you Brit listeners that we have, uh, <laughs> if, if you might any. skip this next one. <laughs> yeah, if, if there are any Brits listening, you can, you can feel free to skip this next one. Until then, we want to thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash you scared of this on Twitter at you scared of this. You can listen to our entire extensive back catalog at soundcloud.com slash you scared of this, where we review the first three and a half seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And of course, leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help us out and tell your friends. Yeah. yeah tell your friends the, I was listening to the cracked podcast this week and they were talking about a, a, a movement that they're working as a part of called Tripod, which is to encourage people to try podcasts, because most people in the world don't listen to podcasts. So, you know, recommend, maybe maybe recommend our podcast to the 30-something in your life. Yeah. And to everyone who has actually recommended our show or plugged us on Facebook or Twitter or elsewhere, we really appreciate it. Oh, man, it means so much. Even those of you who just, like, occasionally give us kind words. It's what keeps us going. Yeah, we're, we're not very good at social media, but your your generosity has not gone unnoticed. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, with all of that sweetness out of the way, I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Did you just hear that noise my stomach made? Did that pick up on the mic? Uh, I heard something. Uh, I gotta go, folks. Good night. (laughs) Toilet flushing sound effect.